I know Kung Fu. Show me. are now listening to the enter vr podcast i'm chris miranda your host and today i'm joined with chris Matson and jj i can't believe i don't know how to pronounce your last name sir how are you by the way uh, it's simply rosella rosella perfect <laughs> thank you thank you and so and so just to give you a quick introduction um chris is a business develop uh, business dev for uh, immersive VR education, and um, JJ is the executive director of the Shenandoah Center for Immersive Learning at Shenandoah University. Um, gentlemen, welcome on the show. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank, thank you. All right, yeah, thanks for having. All right, all right. So I want. I'm here to talk about Engage. I um, I'm really excited about uh, having had tried a demo really quick. Um, just getting into the nitty gritty details of, of how it, it came about. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like perhaps you guys can provide me of a, and the, the audience can provide an, can provide the audience an idea of what engage is. You bet. So, uh, very briefly, you know, engage is a virtual reality platform for communication, education, and training that allows people to join via avatar embodiment so they could join from anywhere in the world and have their body presence in a virtual environment, any virtual environment that you choose. And you can interact not only with each other, but also with the environment. So you can have, you know, teachers that are joining and sharing their expertise on a variety of subjects and you can add to that experience by bringing in 3d objects and environments to just make that teaching engagement more alive and it's experiential learning right so the brain is learning as though it's actually experiencing these things so you know if you're a teacher and you want to talk about uh you know, biology, you can pull DNA out of the air. You know, you have this little tablet that the teacher can actually pull these 3D objects out, place them in the environment. Um, you can create lessons. We have a recording feature that we can talk more about later. But generally speaking, you know, it allows us to be present with each other in a virtual environment to learn and communicate and train. Dope. I, I, you know what? I have a, a, a really um, – my first question really is like why why is Shannon – like out of all the universities in the world, like why is Shenandoah working in VR? Like like why did they what – they, what, what do you guys see in VR that others don't see? <laughs> well, um, I think that uh, the reason for virtual reality right now at Shenandoah is probably my fault um, – I had come here to launch a, an acting program coming from the theater and film background, but I had been in simulation and training um, since like 2001. Um, and we, we began simulation work here and got to work at some of the highest levels with the government, um, uh, State Department. We've, we've worked with UN people. We've worked with um, hospital systems. And so, um, so from there, uh, I got funded. I had developed a simulation stage in 2002 that was housed at Lincoln Center three years ago, and I got asked there to talk about what virtual reality simulation looks like inside of virtual reality. And um, we've got funding from there outside. 
and then the university asked us to bring our work internally in, uh, which uh, which I was more than happy to do. Um, and since then, um, really, with, this has been happening over the last couple of years here at Shenandoah. We've been inundated um, with work because we're a we're a student run production company um, overseen by a brain trust of industry experts. So um, so all of our learning here is application. So that's sort of how Shenandoah got involved in this business. And then uh, we met up with Engage, and the platform that we were hoping to develop, Engage had already done it um, on steroids. Uh, and so we were able to take really our work, which is the application, because um, we're not software developers, um, and partner with Engage in some super exciting ways. Wow. And and so help me uh help me see the vision of, of 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 what this partnership looks like what is the grand what is the grand vision of of uh, and the ultimate vision of success like what does success look like for you guys well let me give you an idea of what we specialize in here and how how engage is helping us out um where many of our sister brother labs around the country are doing amazing work in um, human being relationship to artificial intelligence, we are focused entirely here at Shenandoah on the human-to-human -human experience inside of virtual reality. Um, so Engage is allowing us to put human beings in, in context of a situation with each other to enable the five-minute training moment. Um, now, of course, there are greater implications um, that come after the five minutes, but just think of every five-minute training moment that happens across the country every day in every small town in every city. Um, now, think of the aggregate of that, and if you can start scaling that and allowing people to work from home, fulfilling training moments um, for those individuals that need it, you think of you know just the impact socially is tremendous. I, I'm I'm curious to know more about like um, what your thought, what you guys' thoughts are, what you guys' thoughts are on on the idea of human to human, the data gathering. When you're when you have people interacting in these virtual spaces, what sort of data are you are you collecting from from these from these interactions, and and what sort of data do you plan on collecting? Because I feel like a lot of that, I, I feel like that would dictate, like, or add to your pool of, like, oh, okay, you know, it seems like these kinds of interactions lead to this sort of pattern of behavior. Or is this something that's not really, you know, uh, not something that's really like on your on your on your radar? What are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely on our radar at Engage, you know, and, and a lot of that development's going to come with the evolution of the hardware itself. For example. Once we get uh, people really using eye-tracking devices, you'll be able to actually measure what people are paying attention to. And that's a really big deal. Uh, right now, you know, you can also measure the time or speed in which somebody can complete a task. Uh, we can also offer up quizzes right in the virtual experience itself. Uh, so you can measure, you know, people's uh, uh, knowledge retention and that sort of thing from within VR. So, you know, um, a lot of this stuff is still going to be in development for many, many years to come as the hardware improves. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, certainly, you know, everything um, Chris had mentioned from immersive VR education, um, they're fulfilling those, uh, the, the building and delivery of the data analytics. And I'm not a data analytics person, but we're using things that are similar to data analytics 
Um, well, we're actually using, I guess, that data or looking towards to create um, personalized experiences for individuals. Um, by knowing some of their data and their, um, uh, you can build story elements that can be more engaging uh, because narrative is a significant part of the experience design in VR. Indeed, and, and so, so I want to know more about the program. How does how does the program go, uh, work for work from from a student standpoint, for example? Um, well, we uh, so we're launching our first three degrees in virtual reality um, next year. Uh, we just announced them two weeks ago or a week ago, and uh, although we have a couple majors in it already, who have started before. Um, and it fully launches, but um, there are three different degrees, one built off of a theater minor, one off of a film minor, one off of a computer science minor, and um, the theater minor builds towards simulation and training on digital stages, the film minor builds towards media, like 360 VR, and of course the computer science builds towards Unity programming and actually building on the stage. So. Um, those students intermix, and uh, while they're learning their specialization, they're also working with corporate clients in our lab, um, developing developing practical skill sets. So there's a BA, a BS, and then next year hopefully we'll add a BAS, which is a three-year degree. You come with a if you have a if you have an AA degree, then you could get a degree in one year. Which is we're just trying to be responsible in turning out people um, who can work in this field. Yeah, I had um I had a funny uh, conversation once with uh, my older my old university. They like um I I did a lecture on VR and one of, and they reached out to me and they like hey you wanna you wanna be a lecturer and um and I was like I was kind of kind of interested kind of curious, but then I realized I was but then I realized how much they were gonna pay, and like ran for the hills. Just I was just like I can't you guys you don't you guys don't pay and and I was like and I'm thinking to myself like well. In it, what jobs, what jobs are, are are you guys preparing students for in the in the VR industry? Like, what are what are your like, um, yeah, like what's yeah, what are uh, yeah, what are your thoughts there? Well, I would say that um, uh, for from it depends on which of the degrees that we're talking about. Um, right now, uh, 360 journalism, um, and but really, we believe the low hanging fruit is in training. Um, so most of the stuff that we're building right now is for corporate and government training, active shooter um, scenario, um, hazmat kind of training. So uh, what we're building are people who can create practical applications of virtual reality. So what I mean by that is we are not a computer science, a computer engineering based program. Our program is a VR for industry. So we have individuals that come to us with ideas and um, and then we make those ideas come to life. And our students build all the projects that come to us and actually um, get to the point where they're managing the clients from top to bottom. Then we've got about 70 to 80 projects that are going on right now. 30 of them are live simulations because um, our immersive lab um, is about placing people's senses inside of an experience versus simply the, the full virtual experience. Um, but a lot of simulation is training is where in training is where we're putting our students in, in to work. But when you're when you're thinking about that field, that field is as large as the filmmaking field or the theater field. 
think of all of the different individuals. There's the director, there's the writer, there are the performers, there are the producers. So there are a significant number of positions that it goes into making these virtual simulations. So we're turning out a variety of personalities. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I, I just... Um yeah, I really commend the work that you guys are doing. I, I wish more um, universities were able to have the foresight to like to keep up with the times, you know, <laughs> or or at least yeah, because yeah, we- it's, it's leadership, man. You know, the, I mean, it just so happens we have a president here at our university who's super forward thinking, but. In order for people to embrace what's happening in virtual reality and be able to be nimble enough to educate people in an industry that's changing so quickly, um, we can't utilize the old education system. We have to have people that are thinking in sprints. Yeah. How does that message resonate with your colleagues from other universities and other parts of the country? Um, So far... I am finding total interest, um, which is part of the reason why I am super excited about the platform that Immersive VR Education has put out, because its uses are infinite Mm -hmm. in the educational field. And so once we see the adoption of this, and, you know, beyond using it, even as a simple classroom, using it in that training space... um, and even being able to bring it into a virtualized or a mixed reality world where we're walking inside of the virtual stage of engage, but I'm really walking in a maze that's in, you know, our uh, our lab here because if you had seen, we've got a huge basement that we put mazes in down here. Um, so right now we're seeing super embracing of this from the people that we're hearing because it's it's inarguable. Yeah, can you expand on inarguable? I like that. I like. I like that. I like where you're going. I like. I like, I like inarguable. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you. I'll, once you start talk, telling people the implications of virtual reality on education, um, their mind explodes. Uh, and just yesterday, for the first time, we were training intellectually disabled individuals on the Engage platform created by Immersive VR Education, and. Um, and that platform uh, created a, a profound. Uh, anyway, the 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 individuals that went into it, one of them had never had. Um, one of them didn't have didn't socially interact with others, um, and once they were inside of the virtual space, um, they held a full conversation in this virtual. Um, conference room with another special needs individual uh and when i tell you i'm i'm standing in the room crying you know uh and the ceo of nw works which was the company that we're working with who who helps these individuals you know just put his hand on my shoulder you know we, we had never seen um this before so when you when you watch what happens to people when you put biometrics uh Biometrics. Uh oh. Hello, hello, JJ. Pause button. He must have hit a button or <laughs> ran out of batteries. <laughs> what a great story! He was yes. in the middle of such a great story too. <laughs> he had me. He had me there. It was good. It was really good. Ah. Uh. So do we pause for a sec or, or go on, Chris? Um. Well, 
let's wing it and if it's and if it doesn't sound good we'll i'll i'll readjust but yeah let's um but yeah if you can pick up from if we can pick up from there oh is he coming back oh there he is awesome jj good to have you back we were so into your story yes um sorry where where did i leave you off uh so they they were now communicating with each other and and this person had never really done a lot of social communication before and all of a sudden you're seeing him open up in this virtual environment yep that's right and you know there you know what i was saying was there wasn't a dry eye in the house um you know because of course they had never seen that happen before either it was the first time we had put the individuals inside of the platform to just let them play around to get used to it and then in two weeks we will begin training um intellectually disabled individuals on interview skills for jobs on the virtual platform wow that's amazing that's yeah wow oh man you should come here and see what we're doing it's it's nutty and now that we have the ability to put people in full virtual simulations because of the engage platform um we're looking to scale training nationally with a national role play workforce so one of the things that we're building with Immersive VR Education um, is is a payment process that allows role players to be paid um, for interacting for other individuals in their stories, predominantly training stories. I like this a lot. I please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been my my dream since 2002 is to build a national role play workforce um, in virtual reality but of course for for the first time uh, we have the hardware to be able to do it Chris did you have something you were going to say I was just going to say you know it's always and I'm sure you find this as well JJ it's always surprising for people when they experience this Um, while I was out in Virginia actually um, I had some uh, the SWAT team come over and uh, check it out and do a little bit of training on it and the one thing that just absolutely fascinated them, and it was, and let me back up just a little bit. You know, traditionally they're often trained with screens, right? They've got like these surround screens where there's various scenarios, and you might have a guy that they have to talk down, and things can get out of control, and you got all this going on in a screen. The problem with that is your brain is not reacting to the spatial element of that because there is no spatial element. So what absolutely fascinated them was they had me, we we were in, in the virtual scene, we were like in this house. And what they wanted me to do is act like I was an unstable person and then run at them. And they just could not get over that because their nat- natural inclination was we got to get out of the way or we got to go into this defensive mood and we actually have to do what we've been trained to do spatially. And they're like, this changes everything for us. You know, they even theorized maybe some of these cops are getting hit by cars because they're training on a on a screen and they're not actually jumping out of the way. But in a VR environment that's spatial, you are jumping, literally physically jumping out of the way of an oncoming car. So it's uh, training in a whole new way, and they're like they are absolutely sold on it. Wow! And it'd be interesting if you had live actors like training training cops. Like it would be interesting to see like um, 
like a live actor improvising on the spot, you know, throwing throwing loopholes and like monkey wrenches into like because that's what life is gonna do at them in real life. They're gonna yeah. go out there and like you know all all your training that you had is gonna like come down to like a few seconds and some like something's gonna go the other way. And you, you how do you prepare for that? And I think VR exactly. simulation training is like. And- And this is exactly what Shenandoah is bringing to the table is the live actor training to do just that. And now you're not you don't even have to necessarily follow a script. You can respond to each other in an infinite number of ways and make it a real experience. You know, um, I was at the in Sandy, Utah. uh, I met with the hazmat team and it was so cool because as the uh, the controller, I was able to have these guys go through the house and I could put chemical spills on the ground and I could have fires breaking out in various parts of the house as they're actually going through it. And you're doing this all live. And that's the coolest thing about it. You can just, you know, ebb and flow and, and, and just kind of go with the flow and respond to how they're responding all live uh, with unlimited possibilities. You know, now first responders can actually do their work in a wrecked city that's been devastated by an earthquake. You can't do that. It would cost millions of dollars to set up something like that in real life. And now you can just create that environment very quickly and do anything you want. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It supports the training of soft skills, which has been something that the universities have missed. And when I say soft skills, I mean the communication and the problem solving skills, you know, the, you know, when you went to a university and you got your degree and then you had your first day on the job, they probably looked vastly different from each other, you know, unless you were training in medicine, because the medical fields know that we've got to simulate the world for them because these individuals are making important decisions. They've got to be a veteran before they step their first day on the job. So on some level, we're learning from the medical industry how to train individuals in simulated world experiences um, utilizing virtual reality. But the whole, the whole point is to teach people how to problem solve in situations and how to be able to communicate because we know that that's how the world actually functions. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I um, Yeah, I'm excited for this because I, I, I think about like, well, from, from, the, from, the, from, the, from the public sector's perspective, it seems like they can save a lot of money here. And like, oh. what is that? What is that calculation? Like, how much money? Like, can you like, what is the the carrot that you dangle over their 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 face, so to speak, in terms of like how much money they can save or, or stuff like that? Well, that's what we've we've got to build the marketplace, and and in order for that to happen, some key individuals who who hold those budget codes, um, and we're talking like you know, Department, uh, you know, Homeland Security, and. Department of Justice and Department of Labor um, need to step in and, and help us build some of these markets um, because the scalability is massive. Think of this. Police officers, Lee, you've got a small police department. You've got three police officers on it. You need one of them to take off a day to go train. Can you afford that training versus putting a headset that they can have in their car and without even leaving the job, they can spend 15 minutes on it and do you know their updated training. Um, so the scalability, the cost efficiency is massive. Think of training nurses up who are on um, their schedule over, let's say they're on a night schedule and, 
in the midst of it, they can step on, and they can even step into the virtual space utilizing these headsets and interact with a role player. And it can be archived, so it can be saved. You can, uh, you can self-assess, you can peer assess before your supervisor ever looks at it. Then it's there for, for legal reasons. If it ever needs to be called up, you can put somebody inside of the training experience and have them watch how the whole thing went. Um, meanwhile, payment for these individuals can happen immediate. Let's say somebody fin finishes a training scenario. As soon as they're done, um, the, pay the pay hits their PayPal account. Uh, and so in the gig economy, um, where money, ha not taking two months to get to you, um, can be very helpful in this kind of world. Yes. Yeah. And, and Chris, let me add to that. I know uh, uh, JJ mentioned you can archive the experience. And for the listeners out there, I want to explain a little bit more about what that looks like. And you actually experienced that in the very brief demo that I gave you, where you can have, for example, an entire training experience. And you can record that experience in the 3D space and then rewind time, essentially, step out of your body, essentially, and watch that entire scene that you just created, that you lived. You can watch it right in front of you. You can walk around yourself. You can walk around the trainer and literally see as though you're a third person winding back time, replay that entire experience. And I know, I know that kind of blew your mind. What was that like for you, Chris? <laughs> yeah, it was really trippy. I'm not gonna lie. I was, you know, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Like, um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it was like an out of body experience almost. Like a weird seeing myself like a second. I was like, oh, I was just there a second ago, and now there's a copy, a replica of me doing the exact same thing. And it was like this weird like sensation of deja vu, and like, yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting. I'm not gonna lie, I. Yeah, like VR, like doesn't cease to blow my mind in terms of like the novelty that, in terms of the nooks and crannies of novelty that you can that you're able to access. Like this was this is the first time I see something like this, and it really it was really impressive because I because I started thinking like, well, okay, well, this yeah, you can do a lot here. <laughs> it seems yeah, it's really yeah, yeah it's just yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I need to chime in, too, and just say that the platform that Immersive VR Education created um, is uh, beyond anything that we've seen in functionality and use. So, you know, we, we know that all the pieces and parts are out there that should be able to function in this virtual world this way. But uh, these guys have put it together so that it's useful. I'm just, uh, I, can't, you know, I can't say speak highly enough about this organization. Yeah, I'm really excited for the work you guys are doing. But if I don't ask you hard questions, then I'm not doing anyone a, a favor. So I have to ask <laughs> you the following question: um, What are what are some obstacles that you guys are facing? That and, and there's two categories of obstacles: the obstacle that is that's going to be solved with time, um, and then the obstacle that is that you sort of resolve that it's like, nah, well, it's unsolvable. We'll just you know work around it, like. What are what do those obstacles look like? I'm sure there are more categories of obstacles, but I just want to focus on those two for now. 
Well, I think, you know, we're still in beta and we know so much that we still need to do, you know, like adding additional tools and things like, you know, for JJ, for example, you know, they're going to have these live actors in there uh, that need to be communicating with each other, for example, on a private channel. And maybe they have little uh, flags above a certain individuals to uh, indicate what role they're playing. Uh, so adding these customized features in to meet the demands of the particular training. And fortunately, it is fairly easy to customize all of that stuff. Uh, but I think for lots of different scenarios, there will be some level of customization needed. I don't know if you want to expand on that, JJ. Um, yeah, I'd say um, the one of the biggest challenges is that is we're still tied to the $3,000 to $5,000 system. Mm-hmm. But one of the great opportunities that's that's presenting itself is what oculus is doing with the go and and hopefully the quest that's coming out soon and so you know we're we're looking in in you know in a, at a future where um accessibility to full virtual reality is um is there that in a cost-effective way so i would say that that's a major challenge but also a hump that is so soon for us to be crossing over wouldn't you say chris yeah, absolutely. And I, and I even start thinking about, you know, even using like the Go, uh, you know, which we are going to be supporting, but it's a challenge because you've only got a three degree of freedom controller for one hand. So now you have to take these buttons that we're typically using for both hands and think about it as a three DOF controller. So there's some challenges around that to be able to uh, elegantly uh, create what we need to do to make it functional. Uh, so and, and of course, you know, there's less uh, processing power for a standalone headset as well. So, you know, we have to cut some corners and reduce polygons, and and, and it's a challenge. Um, but we see the hardware improving as well, which gives us a lot of hope. You know, when you look at the Quest, it does have the Six Degree of Freedom 2 controllers, which is such a relief. I mean, that's really what we want. You know, you want that embodied experience where you can get both hands in the game. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be the standard going forward, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as far as other challenges go, I would say that one of the biggest challenges is um, develop is the marketplace isn't developed yet. So um, it takes effort from individuals and insight and innovation from each of our fields to be to be led to the development of this this new marketplace. So. It, it's not going to happen on its own. You know, hopefully there's enough momentum that it's going to be carried, but there, there definitely need to be those, those leaders that are pushing in the fields to help develop the uses um, and the, the practical applications. Yeah, I want to, um, I, I like to, uh, I, I want to ask you about what is the best outcome for virtual reality and what is the worst possible outcome for virtual reality as an industry and a technology maybe looking down well i don't know yeah what what however you like to interpret that I, i'd like to know Chris, uh, I'll let you yeah start. the best the best outcome for virtual reality it is when it's as friction friction free as possible man because there is friction involved you know it it you put someone that's new 
onto a VR system, and one, it, it's sometimes a pain even just to bring up a program to run in VR, and then it's learning how to embody an avatar. It's learning how to use those controllers. That stuff just needs to get easy, you know, and I do see in the future at some point, you know, we're going to be using our natural hands and our fingers just as we do in real life where we might not even have a control. You know, you look at Leap Motion as, as it trying to solve that problem where you can just use your natural hand gestures and... Uh, uh, who wants wires? We're cutting the wires real soon, which is so exciting. Uh, but we want to just be able to pick that headset up and jump in and do what we need to do. And, you know, bandwidth is always a problem, as we saw tonight, Chris, when we had you in there. That was a challenge. You know, it kind of brought things to its knees. And uh, so we need to have that bandwidth. And uh, thankfully, we're moving to 5G here in the future. I'm, I'm really interested to see how that's going to reduce some of the friction. Um there is, a, there is too much friction right now. So I see in the future a frictionless experience, and that's, that's when it's going to get really nice. Um, for, for me, I think the highest goal that I have or that I see or envisioning for virtual reality um, is the, the workforce as it transitions into VR, and I'm seeing the reality of it in our own lab on the projects that we're working on. Um, and the neat thing about working through VR is there's going to be a leveling of the playing field. So gender, um, race, uh, body type, um, sexual orientation, all of that won't come into play because there's an anonymity behind the mask of the avatar. Um, so on some level, we're looking at a, you know, an evening of the playing field as far as, um, you know, uh, what people make financially, um, and also geographically, where you won't have to be located in a city. Um, of course, we're going to see greater connectivity, but one of the major things that we're learning that's coming out of VR is, strangely, in these computerized worlds, we're learning empathy. So empathy becomes one of the major um, benefits of, of learning inside of this space because we're listening and, and um, we're able to uh, we're able to get people to communicate to each other so um, so that's I think the one of the highest things for me one of the scariest things I think is what you were bringing up earlier which is data analytics and how much do we allow ourselves to begin to manipulate people um, by anticipating what uh, their personality type is going to respond to <laughs> and once we start, you know, analyzing the eye, the eye is the window to the soul. I mean, it's almost like we're going to be able to read minds uh, through some of that data gathering. And that 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 definitely scares me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wonder and I wonder as the the workforce transitions into into virtual reality, I want to I want to I want to ask you a little bit more about that. Like, I wonder, like, um, how, how will that transition look like? What is it's to me? I think it's necessary. We have to <laughs> go in that direction. We need to give people jobs in virtual reality because otherwise VR won't move, won't, won't move away from this place where it's a, a thing that you just sort of you just sort of want sometimes to a thing that you that you need that you actually have to use because it makes your job more efficient, more uh, immersive, more meaningful and, and and more valuable, you know. So so what does that transition look like? How do we, how does, how does that begin to happen? I think, um, I think it begins in that five minute training moment that, 
we see a latency in the industry, a need where um, scaling this can be so cost-efficient for the country for government training, um, for uh, um, for corporations and hospitals, that I think that we, we're going to see them as the early adopters, and therefore people who step into these roles um, for these training moments are going to be, I think, the, the first really paid individuals um, uh, who are working on that platform, and then very, very quickly, as we see people living more and more um, on the platforms, we're going to see interactivity. Think of artificial intelligence, and let's say we've got two thousand. Um, let's say that an AI is is answering questions, but a question gets asked that has not been pre-programmed, hasn't been learned, isn't ready to answer. Um, well, immediately a human being could pop into that avatar and answer that question. Um, dynamically. So I think that we're even going to see situations where we don't know whether we're dealing with a human being or whether we're dealing with artificial intelligence, and we're going to see a seamless flipping between the two of them um, facilitating experiences. Yeah, I see that. I, I had an experience in Altspace where, like, um, one time where, like, uh, they have these greeters there, and um, and you go into Altspace, and there's like a and and you my at least my first time I remember like feeling really lost in there, and like there's this and someone was like hello, and I'm like oh there's a bot there, it's a robot, and and I'm like no I'm a person, I'm like whoa, and it scared me, it scared me, like it took me it took me aback for a second. Um, but uh but yeah it's uh i feel like i feel like you're right i feel like they're um people will supplement the ai where the ai fails to provide a service well and if you think of the corporations like walmart just three weeks ago bought seventeen thousand goes and is committing to putting training you know on those for their for their employees so if the companies um are requiring their employees to learn to work and learn um, through these platforms, or at least to learn through these platforms. Um, it'll begin to move people closer to towards being digital natives um, before they would adopt it on their own. So I think corporate America and the government can help uh, push um, the learning curve for the general American and adoption of this. How how big is this is this Walmart deal for for the simulation training? VR education sort of sector because it, it it's not the first time I hear I hear about it and yeah I wonder if like um if like who's next you know or and and, and if yeah like, yeah and what's the and what is Walmart how long before Walmart produces a report that says all right we tried it for a year or six months and bam we're twenty percent more efficient efficient like that would be amazing like are we there well, yet yeah. is, that's the importance of it. I mean, all of us that are Peter, the reason why I think you're hearing that that statistic or that that fact being quoted is because when Walmart came out, we all pointed and said, <laughs> "Yes, you know, we are we are waiting for some of these big companies to adopt this and then help us, um, you know, build build this marketplace." Yeah, and that's what I'm excited to uh, with Shenandoah out there. You know, you guys are going to be getting all of this data, and you're going to be able to share with the world how this really is impacting uh, with real data. Oh yeah, I mean, we are here inviting corporations to, who want to develop um, virtual training that we'll do it with and for them. 
Um, so, uh, so we're excited to be out here really pioneering with, with individuals like Chris and, and uh, Immersive VR Education, and, and they're really taking us to the next step with the Engage platform. That's amazing. I'm really excited for you guys. I, I wonder where, um, how, when it comes to like data gathering and going back to that, like how do you know, how do you know whether you're being ethical? <laughs> how do you know whether you're not crossing a line when like when like the lines feel so blurry when technology is so new? Chris. <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking, you know, because when, when I'm talking about the data gathering for like training purposes, education purposes, um, it's it's in some ways similar to the data that's already being gathered. I mean, it's like how efficient can that training be? How how well is the retention of the information being learned? So it's tracking all that. What we're hoping to see and and early indications are it is the case is that the retention is better. Um, and, and and this is what I'm interested in when I look at like, you know, Striver Labs and Shenandoah is we're actually going to be collating that data and figuring out how much more efficient it is. How much real world dollars are we saving by doing this training in VR? Um, how much uh, cost are, are the cl are the co uh, clients themselves saving by not having to drive two hours to the job, you know, to do all of this? Uh, there's so many different things that get measured that I don't really think uh, tread into that ethical space. I think maybe what you more you're talking about, Chris, is when you're gathering uh, where's my attention being given uh, when I'm having an advertisement shown to me and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That stuff that stuff makes me a little bit more nervous. I don't want to. I personally don't want to be sharing my personal data in that way. Uh, but as far as the training and education goes, um, yeah, I think there's some really cool data that we can get that don't, doesn't tread on the ethical grounds. Yeah, I think... Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say that, um, you know, with every technological advantage um, or, or progression, you know, we people can use it for good or bad, you know, whether we when we discover the use of a tool or the use of fire or, you know, the use of gunpowder, um, you know, there are positive things that can be done and negative things that can be done. Hopefully, um, we have a society that will ultimately protect people in the ways, you know, as we learn the things that are positive and the things that are destructive, that we have responsible leaders. And so I think that that's, that's just going to be part of dealing with progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder um yeah there's there's yeah vr is is and i want and here's the other question i have for you guys what is your what is your calculus in terms of the ar industry like is is the simulation training make sense with ar headsets i feel like i feel like they're not the day where like a, a cop will like do some sort of simulation or a fireman will do some sort of simulation training with a hololens and like a real like environment like a or a mixed reality environment like I, I haven't seen anything like that yet or maybe what do you guys what do you guys know and what does that calculus look like is is vr better for simulation training than, than ar or or some situation better than others what's uh what are your thoughts I think it depends on the type of training that you're doing. I mean, obviously, if you're wanting to be in, in, a, in a war zone or something like that, uh, you're going to want your environment completely altered, which AR is not doing for us right now, right? You know, um, so in those cases, if you want a complete change of environment, VR is the way to go. Um, 
And I think we really need to get to that place where AR is a wearable device. You know, right now, most of the AR is done through phones. And we're just now starting to step into the wearable space with the HoloLens and Magic Leap. Um, so I think we're still quite a ways away from really being able to use. Now, like, what's cool about AR, let's say, you know, I don't know jack about car engines, right? I could not go repair my car. With an AR headset, you could go pop the hood and potentially have, like, this little guy showing you where everything is in the engine and literally just guiding you, walking you through that entire experience, or you can beam in a professional to stand by your side as an AR entity and walk you through step by step. You know, that's where I think AR really shines. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And you're right there. You have to look at it at a a case by case basis. Like if you wanted to be like a a wild fire, fire to fire training, then you want to like, you want to be in VR, you want to be in Mm -hmm. the forest, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you want to be like a, if you want to be like a, a a sushi chef and work at like on an on an empty table maybe, <laughs> then um then maybe you have an AR sort of setup. But that's but mm-hmm. that you're right. It's an an AR is still it's still not there yet in terms of like being this massively available wearable for, not at the scale that VR is at least. But right. Um, AJ, are you are are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey. So yeah, what are your uh, what are your thoughts in terms of um, simulation training with AR? Um, well, I think that uh, I think that there are different challenges with AR versus VR, um, and also different opportunities. The great thing that AR adds to the whole experience is haptics. Well, you don't have to add haptics because you actually have the tangible world. Um, so you know the touch and feel sense. So uh, you know there's a there's a graduated opportunity um, in um, augmented reality um, with that with that experience, but we're not there yet. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, and it's it's hard to tell how long it'll take. Um, but it is moving in a certain direction. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Um. Yeah, so so I want to go to a, a theme that I keep going back to in this on this podcast, and it's like a, and it's it's one of the reasons why I started in the first place was because I wanted to put together like a, a little time capsule of the VR industry. Uh, you know how you like you bury a time capsule in the woods and then you come back fifty <laughs> years later. So for for so this podcast is kind of like that. It's it's a, it's a little time capsule where the, I had this question when I when I first started off. I was like. This this question that was that was revolving in my head that was like Chris, twenty years from now, like people are gonna wonder like those people at the early days of VR, who were they? What were they thinking? What was in their minds? And I think what I'm trying to do is sort of answer that question to the best degree that I can by saying the following. So so JJ, so Chris, I, we we did this experiment. We the last did. Time. Yeah, we did. So this one's for JJ. So so JJ in the year. 2038, 20 years from now, you're going to get an email from me. And it's going to say, hey, JJ, this is this is the message that you sent to yourself to the future from the year 2018. And so and so and so here you have the the mic um, to send yourself a message to the future, to the JJ of 2038. What would you like to say? Uh, I hope to continue to have as much of a blast as you're having right now, Matt. <laughs> awesome. 
And with that being said, um, how can people stay in touch and follow up with the cool things that you guys are doing these days? For Shenandoah University, I would say come visit the Skill Lab, the Shenandoah Center for Immersive Learning. Um, and, uh, and if you're a corporation or a government agency that needs help building virtual experiences, come visit us. We're, uh, we're here to, to help, and, and it's good for our students to learn as well. And for us over here at Immersive VR Education, uh, you can go for a general overview. You can go to vreducationholdings.com if you want to learn more specifically about the Engage platform in more detail. uh, That would be engagevr.io. Very cool. I'll be sure to add all those links in the show notes. Gentlemen, I have conclusively concluded that you are both scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality. <laughs> and um, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Always Thank a pleasure. Thank you for promoting virtual reality. Thank you for what you're doing. This is important. Oh, dude. No, this is nothing. I'm dude. Yeah, this is, this is, this is, yeah, this is. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this, and, and Chris, I want to say <laughs> Chris, I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you so much for jumping back into the InterVR podcast. You are on a roll. You've got some amazing personalities that you've got lined up and I'm so glad you're back in the scene, man. This is awesome. Oh man. Oh be uh brace yourself, sir. It's going to be a wild <laughs> ride. I'm excited. I'm I'm glad I'm back. Um and so and and so yeah, thank you gentlemen. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks.